All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is covered in all four Gospels, so we're going to be in Luke 1, Matthew 3, John 1. John the Baptist is born in a very miraculous way. His parents, priests of the Aaron's tribe, they're Levite, they're working the temple, probably got married, Elizabeth, Zacharias, get married, probably wanted a big family, probably looking forward to all of that. As their life goes on, there are no children. Of course, in this day and age, that's not a very good sign. It's a, it's a blemish. There's something wrong with the problem. And so we pick up John's birth here in Luke 1, verse 6. And the Bible says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was that while of the serving as priests before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. When he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn their hearts to the fathers and the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Lord and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And so here you have this scene as he goes into the temple, as Gabriel shows up. Fear captures Zacharias. He says, listen, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. I've got a great message. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I imagine he probably started praying a long, long time ago. He was probably asking for a son. He was probably asking for a child. Lord, what is going on? What's the situation? There doesn't seem to be an answer to my prayer. I don't know if the Lord is hearing that. But the testimony from heaven is that they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord and blameless. God's opinion of this couple is very high. He loves them. And now at this appointed time, they've got something great. Heaven has something great planned. But to this couple, man, there was just reproach. Man, what's wrong? Where are we? Have we done something wrong? Why don't we have a child? What's going on? Why is my life in this situation? But God had another plan. Your prayer has been heard. 
Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. We've named him. Heaven's named him. His name's going to be John. You're going to need to do that. He's going to be great, is what heaven says. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to neither drink strong drink. He's going to be under that Nazarite valley. He's going to be filled from the Spirit from his mother's womb. This is a great child. He's going to be born to a very old elderly woman. So everybody's going to be like, there is something special. Something is going on. This something has happened. This baby, the Lord is involved with this baby. Zacharias is going, I don't see it. I'm not seeing it at all. I mean, I'm old. She's old. It's been a long time. I appreciate the prayer being heard and everything, but you know, it's just, <laughs> I'm not seeing it. And, and so, you know, the angel is like, do you know who you're talking to? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I was sent here by him to tell you this good news message. This is a good message. This is a good thing. I'm going to mute you. <laughs> it be great to have the power of muting. We're just going to mute you. You're saying things that aren't of faith. You just, just need to stop talking. It's interesting because Mary will say almost the very same thing. When she's the angel that comes and gives her the announcement, she doesn't get muted. She's young. She doesn't understand. So I don't understand. He explains it to her. Here he's like, Zacharias, you should know better. You just, you just need to stop talking. You're old enough to know better. Stop crying. I'm going to mute you. Here's this child. And so he's going to be under this Nazarite vow. If you go to Matthew chapter 3, we'll pick up some more of this story. In verse 4, it says, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So John's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. He, he's, he's dressing in a camel hair, unclean animal, camel hair, big leather belt. His diet is different, locusts and wild honey. He hasn't cut his hair. He's probably about 30 years old. He hasn't cut his hair. He hasn't cut his hair. <laughs> his beard must be ginormous. His hair must be I mean, it's not like he's got Revlon products as he jumps in the Jordan to, you know, he's no, no hair products, no nothing. So his hair he's got is probably huge and wild and probably long. It probably only hits the floor because it just wears off as he steps on it. I mean, it's just... Just picture it. And then the camel hair and the leather belt, and he's crunching on locusts and eating wild honey. And he just said, here's this picture. And he's out there, and he's out by the Jordan, and he's a crazy-looking guy. And I imagine as travelers come through there, they hear him preaching, and they stop, and they listen, and they see this must be a prophet or some, we don't know. The message is good. And as they come into town, into the regions, they say, you got to check this guy out, man. It's, there's this crazy, I mean, it's cool, but crazy looking guy. Imagine all the young people probably went first, right? Just like, what? yeah, really? Okay, let's go, man. Let's go check this guy out. We used to have this in Florida. People would come, there's these, all the crazy preachers, you know, they're all wrong, but all the crazy preachers are coming in the middle of Florida. We've got this barn out there. There's a giant church, holds like 10,000 people. Church kind of failed. They started renting out to anybody who could bring a crowd. And so people would come in. We lived in the Tampa Bay area, and people would come to church. Go, Man, you got to check this guy out. It's this. And people are falling down and barking like dogs and doing this. And we go, all right, let's go. Let's check it out, man. We're going to see what it is. I mean, we want to say bad things about him, but we ought to at least find out what he's got to say first before we say bad things about him. So we, we would go to that stuff. So I can see the same scene with John the Baptist. He's out there preaching, and people are like, you, gotta, you just got to see this guy, man. Wow, 
It's just a crazy picture. He says in verse... I don't have the glasses. <laughs> okay, time's up. Um, so then, uh, verse 5, he says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Probably hundreds of thousands. Everybody's going out there. And they're not just going to see this novelty. They're confessing their sins. John is baptizing people. People are repenting. Things are changing. People are being changed. It will say in Luke there, he's going to say, you know, the people are, are asking, and you remember this, people are asking, say, well, what, 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 should, what should we do? Where they're confessing, he said, now what do we do? He said, listen, if you've got uh, two tunics, uh, and uh, let give one to somebody who doesn't have one. The tax collectors would come and be baptized and say to them, teacher, what should we do? He said, collect no more than what's appointed for you. I think it was a problem back then. Tax collectors, it's still a problem, actually. <laughs> They're still collecting more than they deserve. So he said, hey, listen, if you don't take more than you deserve. The soldiers, same thing. What should we do? He says, uh, don't intimidate anyone, accuse anyone falsely. Be content with your wages. And it says, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, they're listening, the ministry is going on, people's lives are being changed, and they're sitting back going, who is this guy? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Everybody's waiting, everybody's looking for that Messiah. Verse 7, it says, but when... He saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus will say in John 15, you know the story, you know that chapter, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit unto itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciple. Fruit bearing is a very natural product. Natural process of the Christian life as I'm sitting before the Word, I'm hearing the Word of God, I'm being changed by the Word of God, your life is going to bear fruit. It's a natural result. I don't sit back and go, well, I went to church, they told me I need to bear fruit, so let me find something that I can do so that I can be a good person. So I can find some work to do. It's not works, it's grace. And as you hear that grace message that God loved you, He loved you. And the result of that love, that love being able to penetrate and change your life, that result will actually bear fruit. Why? Because I think differently. Because when I, before I didn't really like people, now that I care about them, I mean, I'll actually pray for them. I'll pray for their salvation. I'll look to people differently than I used to look. It's fruit. 
Just praying, just that, right there. Huge fruit, huge work that you're going to go and take someone, someone's name, someone before the throne of God and place them on the throne of God and go, yeah, Lord, work in their life. Fruit, it's a natural product of the life that's sitting before the Lord. He says to them, you know, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He preempts them to go, don't say that you're okay and that you don't need this. Don't say that, well, my heritage is this. Don't say that. Don't stop this. He says, if the Lord wanted children, he could make them out of these stones. Where is he standing? John the Baptist is standing in the Jordan, baptizing people in the Jordan, but it's in the very place that Joshua would bring the children of Israel into the land. This is this great work of faith. Water standing on both sides. Joshua's going to like, let's build a memorial. Everybody grab a rock. Your tribe, you guys grab a rock, and you guys grab a rock. Get your big guy. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be like, the biggest guy in our tribe's got to grab the big... We're, we're bringing it, man. We're going to bring the biggest... They didn't play softball back then. It was like, this is what we're going to do. And so they get some monster guy, and I think... There's just this pillar of stones. Why? So when the, your kids ask, what's the pile of rocks for? You can tell them what the Lord did. This great work of faith. This is what the Lord has done. We need this in our homes, don't we? We need piles of rocks sitting around. This is what the Lord has done. So that when our children ask, why do we do this? Why do we pray? Why do we thank the Lord before the meal? Let me tell you something, because the Lord did this. It's this great thing. He says, look at this rock. He can make children out of the rocks. You've missed it. You're trying to keep us in the law. But the, it's, it was faith. It was faith. Trying to pull their identity. They're identifying with Abraham. Listen, your identity is Israel. You're this nation of faith. You were brought into the promised land to have this victorious Christian life. But they'd forgotten. It's a common trait that we forget. Children of Israel would forget. Elijah on Mount Carmel, remember this? He's the prophet, and then you have the 400 prophets of Baal. He says to the people, he says, listen, why do you waver between two opinions? Baal's God, serve him. The Lord is God, serve him. It says that the people answered him not a word. They've got nothing to say. They're convicted. They just, these Baal guys are kind of cool. I think they got a cooler band. I think they look good. I think they got all the latest stuff. And there's tons of them. And then we've got the one prophet guy who's, kind of, who's not really appealing, probably didn't come with a band, probably doesn't have all the accoutrements, and they just stand there like, ah. he goes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls. We're going to sacrifice the bulls. You guys set it up. You prophets of Baal, you guys set it up. You make an altar, put the bull on there, and I'll do the same thing. And, and whoever's God consumes it, with, neither one of us is going to put fire to it. Whoever God does this, he's the Lord. And they went, Okay. And so they build that altar, and they put the bull on there, and they begin to pray and cut themselves and cry out and do all these things. And Obviously nothing happens. They go on and on and on. I think he just lets them go as long as, how long, what, how much time do you need? I mean, maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's busy. Maybe, we don't know. Go ahead, take your time. Figure it out. Nothing happens. Elijah built this thing, and he, he, he tells the people, he says, hey, come, come closer. And he takes these rocks, and he says he takes 12 rocks to repair the altar that was broken. And I think he's grabbing those rocks, and he's looking at those guys and saying, remember who you are. 
Remember your identities. Your identities in the Lord. Puts the wood on the altar and he takes the bull. He sacrifices the bull. Cover it with water. Let's take two big sheaths and just pour and do it. Pour water. So they pour two things of water over it. And he says, do it again. They took two more and they pour water on there again. And he's like, let's do it again. And they pour more water. He's got a trough around this thing. And that whole trough is filled. You ever tried to build a fire with everything soaked? It is not easy. I mean, it is, it is downright hard, if not impossible. I think he's trying to sit back and say, there's no tricks here. There's no little spark. I didn't, while you were looking, we kind of, no, 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 no. We're going to make sure there is no doubt who the Lord is. He prays to the Lord. The Lord, I'm just doing what you told me to do. It would be nice if you would show up here. (laughs) Okay. Lord shows up. Boom. Rocks, bull, everything consumed. Everybody goes, he's the Lord. Okay, got it. (laughs) What's your identity? these broken down altars, because in those high places, as you come into Israel, those high places were devoted to the flesh. They were devoted to the things of the flesh. You would walk into town and you would see all these things and all these temples and places of worship. That's when the psalmist would say, you know, I look unto the hills from whence does my help come? So I look at the hills, does my help come there? The world is preaching another gospel. If you could just win the lottery, if you could do this, if I just had more money, if I just had a different place, if I lived in a different location, some other kind of good news, if I could just get there. And the world present. I look into the hills, and there's this religion and that religion and this thing I could do and this sport I could get involved. I could consume myself with work and all these things. What should I do? And he says, I look into the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. I'm looking forward to Jerusalem. This is where I'm going. In John chapter 1, he'll say this, verse 19, he says, Now this is the testimony of John when he went. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, Who are you? (laughs) He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, No. And, And then said to him, Well, who are you that we might give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He dips back into the book of Isaiah. He says, I'm a voice. I'm just a voice. I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm here to prepare the king's highway. I'm going out in advance to flatten these roads, fill the potholes, because the Lord is coming. But I'm simply a voice. He is a forerunner for Jesus. I'm here to prepare the way. John would say, I need to decrease. He increases. I'm going to become less. He's going to become greater. It's all about him. He's all about the one who's coming. He's going to say, I'm not worthy. There's one coming behind me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Like the lowest possible thing. I'm not worthy. This is the one who's coming. He's greater. There was a famous conductor, and they were doing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And, I mean, it was flawlessly. It was perfect. And the whole crowd is going wild. They loved it. And as they finished, and the conductor would take a few bows. He would acknowledge the orchestra, and he had given them this speech before they got out there. And then as it ending, he's, he said, while their crowd is going wild, he says to the orchestra, I'm nothing, and you're nothing. Beethoven, man, Beethoven is everything. Well, we're just here playing his music. 
this is what we're doing. This is John the Baptist going, man, I'm just a voice. I, I'm not anything. There, there's the temptation, right? As these guys come, you the Messiah. I mean, I can see that. I think if it were me, I probably would have strung them on a little bit. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> right? I just thought, yeah, I could, well, yeah, could be. Don't really want to offend you guys too much that I've already done, but mm, could be a possibility. Not saying it's going to happen or anything. <laughs> when their favor, people would go banana. I mean, there's this temptation. Hey, lift yourself up. Be somebody great. Yes. If this was America, we'd have food vendors out there, food trucks, wilderness ministry, John the Baptist ministry, LLC would be getting a cut of that vendor truck. We'd be selling little camel hair vests for little children with little leather belts and big long wigs so the kids could look and everybody would be standing around trying to look like John the Baptist would be considered edgy. You know, he's not crazy. No, 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 he's edgy. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it's too cool. There's this temptation now to take... And it, he says, no, not, no. You're Elijah, no. Are you the prophet, Deuteronomy 18? No. Well, who then? I'm a voice. I'm a voice because the one who's coming behind me is the Word. John 1, you know this, 1-1. One, one. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things are made through him, and without him nothing is made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 29, he'll say, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is it. This is the introduction that's been silenced for 400 years. Behold. They've had this lamb picture pressed into them their entire life. As Lord would say to Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, Isaac. It's all right. So we're going to the mountain. We're going to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac looks at dad. says, oh, well, I, I see, the, see the sticks, see the fire. This is what he says to him. Where's the lamb? Very prophetically, Abraham will say, God himself will provide a sacrifice. He's going to be the sacrifice who's going to come. And now, really, the fulfillment, really, of that, here he is, behold the lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. They knew that Passover lamb, every year they would have Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb, they would take some of that blood of that lamb, they would put it over their doorpost, remembering that the death angel would pass over their houses. Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 7, We all like sheep have gone astray and turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was oppressed and was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent. And so he opened not his mouth. So behold the lamb. The other part of John's message, of course, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's repentance is simply to change, to turn, to change direction from the way that you were going. I need you to turn and go the other way. And it's not just simply to turn away from sin and stop. People do that all the time. But it's to turn away from sin and turn to the Lord. I'm looking to the Lord. I'm walking in that direction. I'm changing. As we become before the Word, as we come before the Lord Himself, 
it's, it changed. We accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for my sins. I also accept the sacrifice. And when I accept that sacrifice, I'm actually accepting the terms of the agreement, which is change. But I hate change. I don't want to change anything. <laughs> I just want to get my life kind of squared away and do this is it. This is my time, categories, and this work life. I got it all scraped. It's nice. Got it nice right there. Or I'm working towards night. I'm going to work towards this place where it's all going to be nice. And the Lord's going to look at, I actually need you to change. I need to change your mind. Make you think differently. Life now belongs to me. You've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. Your life is no longer your own. God demands change. But it's his love. I mean, the message of the cross is love. We love him because he loved us first. Not hard to change in that scenario. It's not something different. Actually, actually, I have what's best. I have greatness. Zacharias, Elizabeth, now you're disappointed in your current situation, but I've got greatness for you. This will be told forever, this story. I've got greatness. I've got some great plan. I know you don't see it right now, but I've got this great it's because of love. He loved them. He loved them. And now he says, I need you to listen. Mute. Listen. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So we get this picture of marriage and where the, the husband's going to love his wife like Christ loved the church, die for her. And, and then he says, you're going to wash her with the, the cleansing work, the water of the word of God. You're going to wash her and cleanse her. And then Paul will come along going, I'm actually not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Jesus is that bridegroom. The church is that bride. He says, you're going to make her beautiful. How will she become beautiful? She will become, because of the washing of the word. It's a, it's a beautification product. It's a beauty product. The washing of the Word is going to change how we think, how we look at life, how we present ourselves before the Lord. It's going to change because the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. There is no creature hidden from, not its sight, but his sight. Well, the Word is this powerful tool. It's a powerful book, right? It's a powerful book. No, there's no creature hidden from His sight. It's a person. It's, it's the Lord. And there's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes to whom we must give an account. As we come before the Word of God, we're exposed. We're exposed for who we really are. My mind is exposed. All the hidden things of my life are exposed before Him. My secret life is exposed. My real motivations are all exposed. But it's, it's because of love. He wants to bring me to this place. He wants to change me. If he didn't love me, he would go, yeah, do whatever you want. That's not love. I don't say that to my children, do whatever you want. I go, no, no, no. Do it this way. This is better. John would say as part of that message, hey, there's one coming behind me. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. But I'm going to baptize you with water, but he who's coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
John 33, I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said unto me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. Acts chapter 1, 8, but you will receive power. That Greek word is dunamis, that power, that where we get our word dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, we know that Jesus said, the Spirit is going to be in you, and he's going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you here as orphans. And here's the Holy Spirit now going to come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And that's that Greek word for martyr. That's where we get our word martyr. Be my witnesses. You're going to be my martyr. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. The power to live the Christian life. The power. Now he's baptizing unto repentance. Water. It's coming later. Jesus is going to sacrifice for your sins. He's behold, he's the Lamb of God. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He said, it's good that I go away. I'm going to give you this spirit and this power that's going to come to you. And just like John may have been tempted to say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this for my benefit, sometimes we do the same thing. Well, I want Jesus because it'll make my life better. Things will get better. I'll have more money. I'll have this. Everything is going to go right. Isn't it going to go perfect now? Because you told me Jesus was the way to go, and I did. James would say, you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your own pleasure. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? The spirit now that bought you, Lord bought you and filled you with his spirit, that spirit who lives inside of you, is very jealous for you. He wants your 100% attention. He wants all of you. There actually is no fence. We'd like to walk the fence. There's light and darkness. And he says, listen, I actually need your full attention. I don't see you flirting with the world, the things of the world. I want you completely given over to me. And if you'll do that, you'll seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. If you'll put me first in everything, I can guide you. If you'll pray and ask the Lord, he will direct your paths. He's a loving God. He's caring. And he's filled you with his Holy Spirit. And now he wants to do this. How do I be a martyr? I'm alive. How do I say I lived a martyred life? We're dead now. Could happen. My wife and I are going to Africa in a couple of days. Could happen. What is it? How does it work? Paul told the Corinthians, I died daily. He would tell Galatians, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. Crucified life. It's a martyred life. It's to take my life and what I think and my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations and my little squared away situation and I give it over to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what do you want? What is it you want? I'll change. And it's because of that love that he brings me to this place and he goes, yes, that's what I want. It's a martyred life. He must increase. I must decrease. Life doesn't always go as planned. Didn't do that for Elizabeth and Zacharias. Life wasn't going as planned. God had another plan. John, you know, will end up in prison, in jail. Matthew 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And then John had heard in prison about the works of Christ and he sent two of his disciples and said to him, 
Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Are you the one? This is telling you, like, go ask him, is he the one? I think John's sitting there, hundreds of thousands of people, great ministry, what God told me to do. Now I'm in jail, something I said. I, I don't know. I don't understand. Hey guys, appreciate the report about what Jesus is doing. Can you go back to him and just ask him if the one? Look at what it says, verse 4. So they go to him. Should we look for somebody else? Jesus answered and said, Go tell John these things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to him. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Go tell him. Really reaching back into Isaiah. Go tell him. He'll get it. He'll understand the references that I'm making. Go tell him. He'll be encouraged. Interesting, as the disciples leave, as they departed, verse 7, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken like the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. For he who is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he is who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from those days, John the Baptist, until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. He comes along and goes, listen, John's in jail, a little confused, sends his disciples, go ask him, they come back with a report, they leave, Jesus says to the crowd that he's talking to, there's no men born of women, there's no one greater. Heaven's perspective of John the Baptist is huge. No one greater. We love John. That guy is awesome. That's basically what heaven says. John's over here in jail going, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Are, are you the one? This happens to us, doesn't it? We step out in faith. We begin to walk. We say yes to Jesus. We begin to walk this out. We, we get down the road a few years. John's gone down the road a few years. Things have happened. Cool stuff happened. But he gets in this place and he's sitting in jail going, wait a second. I thought this was going to go different. I thought my life was going to be a little different. And we get in the same place. Elizabeth and Zacharias, we get in the, man, I thought we were doing it all right. And yet, life isn't quite exactly what I thought it was. This is not heaven's perspective. Heaven's perspective comes down and says, I sent my son, died on the cross for you, so that you could have access to the throne of God. I have given you a way in. I've given you access. You have access to the throne of God. When he dies on the cross, the veil rips from top to bottom, signifying, man, we have access into the very presence of the Lord. Is there anything else he needs to do for you? I mean, if we really dwelt on that fact, is there anything else that I would demand of God? Could you please do this? I mean, we do that. <laughs> we do do that. But really, he died. He made a way for me to now go, okay, Lord. We know that our faith is going to be tested. James is going to say, consider your joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now what do I do? What do I do? If you're struggling, pray. Things are going well, rejoice. What do I do? Well, you have access to the throne of God. If your life is in that place where you go, man, I don't understand where the Lord's at in this whole Your faith is being tested to the point where you say, I just don't see the Lord. I've been in those moments. Where are you, Lord? I pray. Nothing's happened for a year. What are you doing? What? 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 
but by faith I know that Christ, the Lord, loves me. He loves me. He demonstrated that on a cross for me that I can go, okay, Lord. It's been said we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Reminding ourselves every day that, you know what? He's not left me out here. He's not left me. Jesus, that's what he said. He gave the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. Now I can open this book and go, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me? You know, the most important meeting that you have is not today, not this meeting, but tomorrow morning when you open the Bible and get together with the Lord himself. For you personally, you're going to read his word and he's going to begin to instruct you. That's the meeting. That is, wow. 